You're listening to Advice from Your Advocates, a show where we provide elder law advice to professionals who work with the elderly and their families. Welcome back to Advice from Your Advocates. I'm Bob Manor. I'm a certified elder law attorney in Michigan. And today we will have with us Amy Purcells, the uh, client service, I'm sorry, the planning services director at uh, Manor Law Group. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. So you were on a recent podcast episode, so some people may have heard that, but if they didn't, tell us what a planning services director does. Okay. <laughs> I mainly take care of all of our Medicaid cases, um, meet with our uh, Medicaid clients um, to make sure that they qualify, things are, um, we get all the information from them for that to qualify for Medicaid um, in a nursing home or in an assisted living, independent living, depending on if they qualify for those services. And um, I also oversee our elder care navigators and um, which are also social workers in our office that take care of our life care um, clients. And just to remind people, Medicare is a program that you get at 65 or uh, some other reasons that you can get that. Medicaid is a, a program that you actually have to jump through some extra hoops to qualify for. And what we're often uh, participating in it for, for our clients, is to pay for long-term care, meaning um, continuing care in the home, continuing care in assisted living, continuing care in a nursing home. Those tend to be some of the most expensive things that could occur in your later stages of life. And so sometimes the, it's really important that we look at these Medicaid rules and make sure that we can qualify without going broke. Because most, if you have not been paying attention to our podcast, you might think that you have to go broke to get Medicaid. And that is absolutely not true. There are many strategies that we use, legal strategies. They're well-accepted legal processes that we can use to protect your assets and still qualify for Medicaid, to pay for a nursing home, pay for home care, those types of things. Yes. So we're going to talk about one particular thing, one particularly irritating thing, that is the rule in Michigan. And so first of all, let's kind of set the stage. So if you had a loved one, a spouse or a parent, uh, maybe even a sibling that needed continuing care. So they can't independently live on their own or they can't, they need some help. Maybe they can live on their own, but they need certain hours of help, things like that. What would be the normal tendency of most families to do to make sure that that loved one is cared for maybe in their home? Most would either you know, sub supplement care um, within the family if they're yeah. able to. Um, so a, a child, a grandchild, a son-in-law, daughter-in-law, you know, just anybody. Taking turns. Right. Um, that's what we did in our family. Yeah, so, me too. Uh, we take turns and everyone chips in as much as possible. And um, seems pretty normal. We can, yeah. And then sometimes we even bring some outsiders. Uh, they might not be a relative. But we and we and usually even if it's a relative, sometimes we got to compensate them if they're missing work or those types of things. Or if it's an outsider, we definitely probably have to, you know, to uh, to pay them, whether it's a neighbor or somebody from church or whatever. We got to give them something for their time to help us out with this uh, crisis that we're having. Right. Right. Paying the neighbor to take him, take mom to the doctor. And seems pretty logical. Yes. Seems like normal human behavior. Absolutely. What does the state of Michigan think of that? They don't like that. So what do they, how would they treat those payments? 
as gifts. And meaning a penalty. Yes. So Unless we jump through a bunch of hoops. So it is possible to do that. We're not going here that you can't do that. Absolutely, you can do that. Unfortunately, the state of Michigan makes you jump through a bunch of hoops, including notarized contract and things we'll get into in a minute. All right. Where did this all start? So this has been um, um, government policy in Michigan since about 2015, I think it was. How did this all get started that they uh, they started trying to penalize for what I would consider normal family behavior? So there was a um, elderly woman. Her name uh, was Betty Jensen. And Betty needed some extra care that her family, outside of what her family could provide to her. And so they had the neighbor and friends um, helping out. So helping pay for gas to take her to the doctor or going and buying groceries for her, um, doing a little bit of things around the home, normal things that she needed a little bit of help with and Mm -hmm. um, just providing some companionship and care for her. Um, And uh, then Betty needed more care and um, needed to apply for Medicaid And over uh, about 10 months that Betty had that in-home assistance and care, she paid out about $18,000, $19,000. And um, when she needed Medicaid and to go to a nursing home facility for skilled care, um, she she was penalized for the Medicaid um, for paying out for a caregiver to keep her in her home a little bit longer so that she could be home as long as possible. Which seems so crazy to me because the it seems like Medicaid rules should be designed to help people stay in their home, help people stay off of Medicaid. And now we're penalizing for some somebody for trying to stay in their home longer, trying to stay off Medicaid longer, and we're penalizing them for that. So Betty probably was a multimillionaire, right? She was very rich, right? No, no. So they're just trying to get a, get the rich people that are trying to take advantage of the system. <laughs> Not at all. But Betty had nothing. I mean, that was probably that was close to her last nineteen thousand when she applied for Medicaid. She applied for Medicaid without protecting assets. It was simply she had spent all the money on her home care and she needed to go into a nursing home. So and she had a modest home. She was. Um, not rich. (laughs) I don't want to say she was poor, but she wasn't, she didn't have assets. And, um, and so they're, they're not going against the rich. They picked this case. The state of Michigan picked this case to prove a point and try to penalize her over now $18,000 seems like a lot of money. (laughs) Is it a lot of money for 11 months of care? No, no, I have a skilled, a skilled facility can cost anywhere from, Twelve to fifteen thousand dollars a month. A month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One month. So hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and she spent eleven thousand or what was eighteen thousand, whatever it was, um, and uh, was very thrifty, right? That's that's uh, well below market rate, probably under by the hours that was reported uh, that the, the uh, person got paid. Um, it probably was under minimum wage. It was less than $2,000 a month. Yeah, and likely under minimum wage for the level of care that she needed. And had she gone into the nursing home, how much would the state have been paying? Probably in the range of like eight or $9,000 a month. And they're penalizing her for spending $18,000 for those 10 months that they, the state, if she had gone on Medicaid, would have paid, you know, uh, uh, thousands and thousands of dollars every month. 
Um, but she tried to stay off Medicaid and do what she thought was the better thing and the responsible thing. Yes. And the state chose to penalize her for this. Right. So that's an interesting court case. But how does Betty relate to the rest of us? <laughs> because that's just one crazy case that unfortunately went up to the Court of Appeals. Uh, it is an unpublished case. So um, for lawyers, when it says unpublished, it means that uh, the Court of Appeals did not want to make this precedential value, meaning everybody has to be kind of held to this, but it is considered persuasive. Um, and so what happened after that Court of Appeals? What happened with the BEMS? So um, we are required to do a care contract. Yeah. Uh, so let me get to the logistics of it. So the BEMS, we call it the Bridges. Like Michigan has lots of bridges, so they call it the Bridges Eligibility Manual. They went back, and that's the manual as to what we work with every day. It's the rules. For Medicaid, the Medicaid rules. And they changed, after that court case, Betty Johnson they changed the BEM. They changed the Medicaid rules to make it so that there's a penalty if you pay for home care and don't have, don't jump through these extra hoops. Yeah. So now let's talk about those hoops that they have to jump through. So there, that that's where these care contracts come into play. So if we we can prepare a care contract um, with all of the caregivers, so it's uh, it's cumbersome because mm-hmm. we have. You know, you may have three or four different people that help out, right? Uh, and maybe it's as simple as that. The neighbor does this. The um, niece does this. Uh, you know, you may have three or four different people. So you have to have a care contract for everyone to uh, make sure that you're covering all your bases for all of your payments for caregivers. Care. And so what are the what are the specifics of the care contract? So it has to be a written contract. Correct. What else? All of the, your hours. So someone has to figure out how many hours this person is spending uh, balancing your checkbook. What they're uh, doing. Exactly. What what exact what exactly their their job, uh, quote unquote, is entailing. So, so you can't they, just say they work these hours. You have to say what services they're performing during those hours. And, and it's very specific. It has to be specific to the point of, you know, like I said, balancing the checkbook. Um, who is responsible for making uh, making your meals and uh, making sure that the house is picked up, providing your medic medicine, uh, who's picking up the medicine from the pharmacy, uh, taking you to doctor's appointments. All of those things are separate line items on these care contracts so that the state is able to see where all of this money is being paid and why it's being paid out. So that's something that we as elder law lawyers can help you with. It's very difficult to draft that the contract to that level of specificity without some uh, experienced legal advice. And when I say experienced legal advice, you're not looking for just a contract lawyer. You have to have somebody that does Medicaid and understands right. these rules. Well, there's a few other rules too, right? It has to be notarized and the caregiver, the person who's providing the care has to sign it and their signature has to be notarized. And then the person whose care, who's receiving the care, either them or someone on their behalf, like their power of attorney or guardian has to sign it. And that signature has to be notarized. Um, normally when we have a home care agreement with one of these home care companies, is there a notarization block on that contract? No. So even those contracts probably don't meet these terms, even though it's clear we're paying a third party, you know, somebody that is is probably a stranger to us that's professional caregivers. And, um, those contracts probably don't comply with the Medicaid rules. No. 
And then finally, what else? After we get the notarized signatures, who else has to sign it? So we have to get doctors involved to mm-hmm. make sure that we get a doctor's signature. Um, it, it, it's very, very uh, cumbersome, and there's so much involved in these. So I do have, we're working really hard to change this. So this is not something that I want uh, to have to charge for or be involved in. Obviously, we do have to charge for it if we do the legal services and put the time into it. But I would rather never have to, I would rather never get paid for another care contract again. I would like this rule to be abolished and uh, more reasonable rules to be in place. And um, so the group that I'm involved in, I was the uh, chair of this group a couple of years ago, and I just uh, recently ended my immediate past chair. So I was still a uh, voting member of the group and as a immediate past chair, but that has ended recently. Um, so now I'm an alumnus of the State Bar of Michigan Elder Law and Disability Rights Section. Why do you care about that? Well, because we have lobbyists and we have uh, drafted legislation and we have some excellent legislators who are promoting our legislation and, and being sponsors of that legislation to get rid of this care contract. So uh, we that might be something, if this is uh, of interest to you, that you contact your state of Michigan legislator about to ask them to support this legislation to make it so that this uh, um, overreaching by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Medicaid office on paying caregivers and paying family members is overruled by the state legislature. So we've drafted legislation. It'll be proposed soon. We don't have a bill number yet, but we will soon. And uh, it might be something that you might want to contact. Uh, to me, I don't know how anybody could oppose this, regardless of your political beliefs. No. And here's my thought. I know I'm going to get up on a soapbox here for a mm-hmm. second, but here's my thought on it. Some people say, well, I don't like Medicaid. It's a public benefit. But the what this is, like Betty Jensen, she was trying to stay off of Medicaid. She was trying to do the right thing. She was trying to stay in her home. She didn't wanted to avoid Medicaid. She spent down to pretty much the last dollar that she had, you know, close to it before she was forced to uh, get on Medicaid. And the idea is then they penalize her for doing what everybody would say is the right thing. So I don't know how you could be on any side of the political aisle that would say Betty Jensen should be penalized for trying to stay in her home and paying well under market value, probably under under uh, hourly rates, uh, you know, minimum wage to get the care that she needs to stay off of Medicaid, to stay out of the nursing home. And that's what this is. And so I don't uh, the. the um, those that um, support this position just doesn't seem it seems like it's more of a bureaucracy thing than actually a public policy position, because I'm not sure anybody that would rationally be able to make a public policy position as to why we would have penalized Betty Jensen in that situation. So uh, it's something we're working hard on. And uh, the, uh, the the chair of the group last year was able to get the legislation written and, uh, and we found legislators to uh, sponsor it. 
and uh, we're working hard to make sure that that gets passed. So if you want more information, feel free to contact the office. We'll be happy to talk to you about it. Our office number is 800-990-6030. But uh, other than that, uh, the key on that is right now, you got to be careful when we're paying caregivers. It's probably worth calling calling the office and making sure that we have the proper documentation in place, whether it's a a family member or a non-family member. We should probably get that documentation in place. Yes. Well, thank you, Amy, for uh, joining us and explaining this very odd Medicaid rule. And uh, we appreciate you listening to the podcast, Advice from Your Advocates. Don't forget, if you like the podcast, to subscribe. You can subscribe at any of the places that you listen to podcasts, or you can go to our website and subscribe there at mannerlawgroup.com. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit mannerlawgroup.com.